Hi, everyone, and welcome to In Conversation, a video series from Shift. If you're enjoying these episodes, please make sure to subscribe to our video channel to be notified of new episodes being released every two weeks. Today, we're going to be talking about documentary editing on the new film, The Dissident. And our guests are Wyatt Rogowski and Avner Shaloa. They are two of the editors on The Dissident from director Brian Fogel. Avner and Wyatt, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So glad to have you guys. So I'd love if each of you can just introduce yourselves a little bit. Um, Tell us kind of about yourselves and your careers. And I'd also love to learn a little bit how you kind of got involved with Brian and how you got involved on The Dissident. Um, I'll start. Yeah. Uh, so Rogowski here. Um, basically, my career in documentary editing started about 10 years ago. Um, I moved to New York and joined a small production company, which was more brand and commercial focused. Um, started editing for them, just small videos. And after a while, um, a documentary fell into their lap, um, the first one that they did. And um, it was about the elections after Haiti, uh, sorry, after the earthquake in Haiti um, in 2010. And um, it was like trial by fire. I just learned pretty much half of what I know right now with documentary editing. Um, and um, that basically got me to the point where I was started to, to edit um, uh, documentary television. Jumped into that, worked for National Geographic and History Channel and AMC. And um, after a while, I decided to move to Los Angeles and jump back into features. Um, since then, I've done a couple. Um, they all just range so much in topics. That's why I kind of I love about documentaries. Um, one was on the uh, cowboy culture of South Central Los Angeles. Um, another one was on the future of uh, brain computer interfaces. And the latest has been the, the dissident with Brian. And um, I met Brian through a, a good friend of mine who I've worked with uh, before. And he basically just called me up and said, we need some help on, on this, uh, this documentary and, and come on in. So that's, that's how I got in. Awesome. Uh, yeah, this is Abner Shaloa. Um, I started working as an editor in Israel, where I'm from, and um, I just naturally, from the beginning of my career, kind of gravitated towards documentary filmmaking. So always a certain level of control that you have as an editor, so it kind of drew me to that, and uh, I kept on working in Israel. Uh, as well as I moved to Spain and uh, England and eventually ended up in LA in the mid uh, early 2000s. Um, and uh, yeah, and kind of continued with documentary filmmaking, did documentary TV, working for History Channel and um, A&E and um, kind of, and, and just kept going and, and, you know, doing unscripted as well as documentary filmmaking uh, these days I do kind of vacillate between narrative, scripted narrative, as well as documentary filmmaking. And I came on to the project through our writer on the film, Mark Monroe, who has worked with Brian on Icarus and is a great documentary writer. And I had worked with him on a couple of projects. So he brought me on and uh, we were off to the races. Yeah. Why and I started at the same time. So. Awesome. Mm -hmm. It's a very, uh, especially on this channel, this production channel, um, a very common story of like, I did a little bit of this and I did a little bit of that and I kind of ended up here. And I feel like uh, for creative minded people, that's a very 
a very common story. Before we um, dive into the interview, I'm hoping you can give us just for those who haven't seen the film, um, tell us a little bit about the film, what it's about and kind of the issues that it, it covers so that when we dive in, people have a little bit of context. Sure. Uh, I mean, in terms of the kind of the, the, the basic, more personal aspect of the film, it's quite literally an investigation into the death of Jamal Khashoggi, who is um, a Saudi Arabian uh, journalist um, who worked for the Washington Post and was murdered in the Saudi consulate in Turkey. Um, so the film is first and foremost kind of examination of what happened to lead to that uh, event and what happened on that day and the immediate aftermath, um, as well as a study of who Jamal Khashoggi was and what led him to that moment as well. But um, beyond that, it also follows his fiancee, Hatija Jengiz, who, and, and who was with him that day outside the, the consulate. And um, as well as uh, a friend of his, Omar Abdulaziz, who was a Saudi dissident, and they were collaborating together. Um, so those are the three people that the documentary kind of focuses on and tells their story leading up to the murder as well as, as what happened after. Yeah, um, it's, it's, so, it's such a fascinating story. I mean, even uh, I'm sure everyone remembers kind of when it was breaking news, uh, I think it was 2018, a little over two years ago. Um, even those of us that are kind of familiar with the story or say, oh yeah, yeah, I know about that, the depth and the, the, you know, the investigation portion of it and really the details that are able to go into the documentary are mind-blowing, fascinating, horrifying. So uh, a really, really fantastic film. I, I would love to talk a little bit about process with you guys. Um, We've talked to a few editors of different types on this channel, uh, different types of filmmakers and content creators. I'd love to hear about, I mean, I know this is really like 101, but tell me about the editing process, especially for a documentary of this scope. So in what state is the footage when it literally lands on your desk? How do you actually really kind of like go into it piece by piece? Talk me a little bit through your, your like workflow as a documentary editor. Um, I'd say, well, first of all, this, this was the largest documentary as far as crew and as far as just um, topic as well I've ever worked on. Um, you know, whether it's a large crew like this where it's like 25 people working on it um, or if it was just myself and the director, um, the, the process can kind of start the same. It really, it really starts with like, you know, um, creating a, a story map and just like story beats because with documentary editing, you're, you're kind of one of the writers and mm -hmm. cause you're, you're forming the story afterwards. Um, so you like, for instance, with this film, we worked closely with, with Mark, who's, who's the writer and uh, formulated, he formulated like a story beats and basically kind of like an arc for the whole film. Um, and a lot of the film is, is still being shot, you know, as, as we're starting the, the, the process as well. Um, so pieces are still coming in news stories might break and all of a sudden that changes, you know, where you might've thought it was gonna go in, in the second act. Um, but it really starts with um, the, just the beat in front of you. So um, the scene in front of you. So, you know, I didn't know much about the, the topic. I, I knew just like most people, um, you know, I heard the story and stuff, but I didn't know 
uh, too much about the politics in the region and everything. And so, you know, as you kind of dive in, you're just, and you're editing that one scene, you kind of like are getting little pieces of the puzzle and it starts to fill in for you. Um, and that's, that's one of the things I love about documentaries in general is that like it's, you become kind of a mini expert and you have all these people who are, are, are interviewed for it who are experts or are deep into the story. And, um, and you hear like, you know, three or four hour interviews with these people. So you're, you're really getting the, the groundwork of it. And, and so, but basically you just start off with the backbone of the entire thing. The skeleton is like the interview bites, whether it's archival or, or, um, or uh, interviews. And you kind of build upon that. Like, you know, if, if it's more of an archival exposition scene where you're explaining things, or if it's more of a verite where you're gonna have um, more of a connection and it's gonna relay kind of um, real things happening in the world. Um, you know, you kind of interweave those two. And, and you know, one thing with Brian is he's, he's all about the, uh, the thriller aspect too of, mm -hmm. of documentaries. And, and so we inject that too. And it's, I, I like to say it's kind of like uh, docu documentary editing is almost like having a sculpture and you start off with a big mound of clay and you're, you're kind of, the first rough cut is just like a super, you, you got the clay on there and you're just, you know, just figuring out what the shape is. And then slowly as you keep going, you keep refining, um, you get to the point where you have your fine cut and it's like, you can see like the lines of the face and everything. And then, you know, you get to the lock cut and it's like a beautiful sculpture, but it's still plain, mm. very boring looking. And then you get to, um, the, uh, uh, the finishing process with color, sound, all that stuff. And that's where you do the paint and it looks beautiful. So it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a fun process and it, it takes a long time. Documentaries yeah. can take, um, my first documentary was on, like I said, I was a trial by fire and it took two years in the edit. Um, this one I think took around six months from the time I started till Sundance. And then, which is quick because we, we Very. had- um, we, we had four, four editors working on it at once. Um, and, but yeah, it's, 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 it can take a long process, but it's, it's very rewarding. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a, I imagine it's unique in the world of editing. I, I come from production, but, uh, always worked on narrative projects where, you know, shot 5A comes before shot 5B and maybe you pick mm -hmm. the best one, but that's it. Whereas like you said, to be an editor on documentary when you're dealing with so much footage and so much content, um, you're really kind of finding that story as you go, which is a totally different art form. Um, kind of a technical question, but just cause I'm curious, a lot of the film and a lot of these interviews um, are in Arabic um, mm -hmm. as an editor how do you deal with um, footage? Does everything need to be translated? Are you given um, selects of some kind? How does that work? So, um, yeah, I mean, so much of the film is in Arabic as well as Turkish as mm. well, which is uh, we some of we have some Turkish officials speaking as well as um, Jamal's fiance. She she's Turkish, so we actually had to edit the movie in three different languages. Um, and yes, part, part of the general process for most documentaries these days is that every interview is transcribed and uh, you work off of those transcriptions in order to kind of build that skeleton that Wyatt mentioned. Um, in this situation, obviously these interviews needed to be translated, but that was, that's just one element of it. That translation helps us 
to say, well, we want this part and this part and this part, but we needed a crew around us of people who actually spoke these languages. And so we had a team of associate producers who are both uh, Turkish and Arabic speaking. Um, and they really helped us shape this and, and helped us in the process of, of putting these interviews together and, and, and shaping the story. Um, because as you said, it's a huge challenge for us. I mean, even though I speak Hebrew, my Arabic is pretty rusty and Turkish is still foreign. So none of us really spoke these languages. And so this team was, was pretty incredible to work with. We really developed a rapport um, where we could tell them, okay, this is what we're looking for. And can you help us put it together and find us these different options of what, what to put together? Um, and this is both for the actual interviews as well as the archival footage of which mm. there was a lot to sift through, uh, a lot of it coming from Turkish and Arabic sources. So, um, so it was definitely a challenge. It was very daunting in the beginning and we were all like, how, how are we going to do this? <laughs> Especially in the time that we had. Right. But um, I can't I can't speak highly enough of our crew uh, and how we all came together and worked towards this common goal. I will say that as time as it progressed, uh, we all got used a, li a, a little bit more to the flow and cadence of these languages and kind of, you know, certain words would stick out to us. Right. And so by the end of it, we were kind of putting it together and asking these associate producers, does this work? Or like, what, what do I need to adjust? But uh, it was definitely a beast. And, and to be honest, uh, I'm not totally sure how we did it in the end, but, <laughs> but, we, but we did do it. Yeah, it's such, a, it's such a, 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 like, not only is it an added layer of complexity, but it's, um, like you kind of mentioned, it goes beyond just the words that are being said. It's the inflection and the intonation and the cadence and something that you would never even pick up. Like maybe those are the words you want, but the tone isn't quite right and you would never know that. So, so you have to really rely on those people um, and trust exactly. them to give you the right advice. Yeah. And I, I would also add that um, because of that, you know, sometimes we want to like condense like sentences or condense like a, a, a long bite for a scene and it's called frankenbiting. It's like mm. you, you chop up um, the, the different senses or you take in like, you know, a the or a there and like putting it in so you can kind of form a more clear sentence. And, uh, you know, for inflection, we have zero idea. So um, sometimes what I would do is instead of frankenbiting myself um, and hadn't like literally not knowing what I'm putting together, uh, I would just do like a paper edit of like kind of what I want them to say. And then I would give that to one of our um, researchers and uh, translators, and they would um, kind of pump back uh, from the avid uh, just a, a string out of, of a proper inflection and, and bite. So we can yeah. put that in. Yeah, even in uh, your native language, that can be a tricky process mm -hmm. <laughs> to like yep. create create a sentence that maybe didn't exist or, or merge two sentences or words together. So mm -hmm. just wanted to dive into that because that's a unique um thing about this film that I imagine was was a little difficult. Um, we mentioned this a little bit, but I'd love to, to jump into the different types of footage you're dealing with. So in this documentary in particular, to my eye at least, there were like three distinct types of film you were using. One is, is interviews that you actually went out, like Brian actually went out and got, or the filmmakers actually went out and got interviews for the purpose of the film. 
There's archival footage, like you mentioned, from news sources and, and TV shows. And then there are these incredibly elaborate um, VFX, you know, computer generated, almost animated sequences. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about kind of like the difference between those three types of footage and how maybe you would, would work with those things differently? Yeah, so um, I mean, as, as you said, uh, probably the first group that we have is the, is the shot footage that the, the was shot by the production, which we can probably divide into interviews and verite footage. Verite meaning that we are actually following along some of our subjects as they are experiencing things. Uh, so for instance, Satija, uh, who is Jamal's fiance, as she maybe addresses the European Parliament or the UN or something like that. So we call that verite. And uh, to me personally, that's always some of the most engaging things for, for, for an audience. It's very visceral. It puts them with those subjects. Um, and uh, you know, the other aspect is the interviews, which is why it is mentioned before, is the backbone of everything. These interviews are kind of telling you the story. Um, so, you know, but, but, but the verite aspect of it, that's really where the, some of the you know, strongest emotion comes from. And, and uh, I feel that's so important for so, so many documentaries. Uh, there's a certain disadvantage, disadvantage to having a documentary that's purely archival. Um, so you know, that's how you work with that is almost sometimes like a, like a scripted narrative in a way. You're, you're, you, know, you just wanna, it's more all about pacing and and uh and music and 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 creating a scene and putting the the viewer in that spot um the big challenge for this was we didn't have any you know verite with jamal khashoggi mm. who is one of the main subjects of the film so our trick was to find as much ar archival of him as possible and try to create these emotional um, moments out of that and to draw his, you know, his personality through those. And, and I think that, that was always one of the things that, that, that we really focused on and, and was, was a, you know, something that we knew we needed to do was to bring Jamal to life um, through this footage. Um, otherwise archival is usually kind of there to support um, these facts that you're trying to communicate and, and it tends to be a little bit less emotional in that sense, a little bit less immediate and it's more, um, you know, instructive in a, in a way, but, but it's always, you're looking at the, these archival and you're looking how to, how, how to make compelling scenes out of it, but it was always digging for treasure in terms of, of these archival moments of, of Jamal. Um, and, and trying to make them as engaging as, as the verite. The verite is almost easy. Right. Uh, it's, it's not, but, but it is, but, it, but it's all there and, and you just have to draw something out of it. The archival is more of a you know, sleight of hand to actually make an audience connect with that. Um, and uh, I'll let Wyatt speak about the VFX. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I... I came on and um, Brian was kind of looking for one of the editors to kind of be more uh, VFX focused. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I can mess around with After Effects and do some small stuff myself, but I'm not like, you know, deep into that world or, or very talented with, you know, 3D programs and stuff. But I, I have worked in, in films before with um, basically 
doing like early drafts and kind of doing arc direction and vision and envisioning what it's going to be in the edit. Um, so that's one of the things that I came on and helped out with the edit because there's a ton of graphics in this film. Um, and I, after a while, um, it became a lot. So uh, we, we eventually brought on an agency, um, uh, the Office of uh, Development, Design and Development, um, ODD from um, New York. And um, I worked closely with them. I was basically like the connection to the edit for them. <clears throat> and um, so I would rough out sequences of like the timing and how, you know, we want this information to come across and the bites underneath. And, you know, I would, you know, do really um, rough, avid graphics just to kind of show exactly the placement of stuff in the screen and how it should all work and trying to envision it myself. And, and then I would, you know, send that to them. We would work together and kind of figure out styles and looks and we'd have calls, Brian, myself and um, Odd together. And um, yeah, it was, it was an adventure because this is the most graphics I've ever worked on a film with. And it was the smallest amount of time that we, I've ever had. And so we were cranking stuff out until the last second. Um, I mean, there's everything from like newspaper graphics, mm. you know, more 2D stuff all the way to like an entire like Pixar level film and just in, in the middle of, of this, uh, of the film, uh, which it kind of explains uh, the, this kind of conceptual version of, of um, the bees and the flies, mm -hmm. which is uh, the, the trolls in uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was an adventure, but um it was fun and, and we made it all happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just add that. I mean, the task that Wyatt and the graphics team had was Herculean, you know, it was, it was really, um, and, and usually, you know, you use VFX to enhance something and, 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 and give some added value to the film. But in this case, the VFX and what Wyatt and, and his team were doing was just, was pure storytelling. So much information, so much of the story is told through that through the those sequences that uh and brian has such a strong idea of what he wants out of those that it was really you know i, I mean i'm still astonished at how the, the same way i'm astonished at how we dealt with the languages i'm astonished at what the vfx team did, did with all those sequences yeah it's truly unique as a, a viewer i can tell you the experience of um the way those sequences were Kind of woven into the story, unlike anything I've I've really seen in documentary, especially where, like you said, Avner, it wasn't just you know oh every so often you get a little enhancement with a little bit of VFX. It was really a, a pillar of the film, like a, a a full chunk of that film was those kind of animated sequences, and they were just really really well executed, which is I'm sure kind of unique unique in this world. Um, you guys mentioned that uh, you had a team of editors, a team of four editors, of which you are two. Um, can you talk a little bit about the process of working as a team? Uh, you know, four editors is a lot. I know you had a really kind of quick turnaround time. Would each of you take a piece of the film? Would each of you deal with a certain type of footage? Would you look at each other's work? Like, how do you collaborate, um, especially now, I imagine, remotely between four editors? Yeah, so uh, the other two editors on the film, James Lesh and uh, Scott Hansen, um, you know, two brilliant editors as well. Um, and 
you know, we were fortunate enough, this was pre pandemic. So we did get to, um, we did get to all be in the same office and collaborate together. And, uh, you know, I've had several experiences in the past of working with different editors. Um, and I personally always enjoy it. But, um, you know, I've heard some stories of like, you know, sometimes egos can clash. But in this situation, it really, James was the first one on the project. And then, um, you know, Scott and Wyatt and I came on at the same time. And it was very, very quickly a situation where we're all like, okay, well, we're in the trenches together. We have very little time to execute this. Um, we're all on the same team. Let's just make the best movie we can we can make and and have each other's back. And um, also, we just very quickly became friends, um, mm -hmm. so that helped. And um, yeah, how it worked was really. Um, we've mentioned Mark Monroe was a writer. Usually he would have the marching orders for, you know, well, this week, let's get this story beat and this scene done and this scene done. Avner, you take this, Wyatt, you take that. And so each of us would kind of have a first pass at something. And sometimes, you know, we continue on that beat for the second or third pass. But occasionally it would be a situation where another editor, editor would be like, you know what? I have a really good idea for this. Can I take a crack at it? And this is where it's really useful to kind of check your ego at the door and be like, well, yeah, go ahead. If you have an idea, do it. I, I want to see what you can do. Um, because uh, always the goal is let's make the best movie we can. It's not about either any one of us shining through. It's about just serving, serving the narrative. And um, well, the other thing that's really useful is having that sounding board because I mean, you're four editors, uh, Brian is still out there directing, Mark is writing like the wind. So you don't always have the luxury of, of, of doing your first pass on something and, and, and getting Brian or Mark to weigh in. So you have that sounding board from one, of, one or all three of the other editors and be like, hey guys, can you come see this? And then they'll they'll watch it and tear it to shreds. No, you... <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> sometimes tear it to shreds, but all in, you know, all in, 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 in good spirit. And, and uh, again, we're able to be very honest with each other and be like, well, you know, this is good. This is good. Have you tried this? You know, this music isn't really working. Why don't you try this thing? Um, why don't you move these around? That part isn't clear to me. So I really, I find it so helpful to the creative process to have people that I trust and who know what the process is because they're fellow editors. And, and you know, it, it helped us develop these scenes a lot more qu quickly because what I find when I'm the single editor working in a vacuum sometimes it gets really difficult. And I'm like, am I even on the right track? I don't know. So you need that affirmation from, from, from other people. Um, and also at the same time, you, you develop this camaraderie, you know, you're, you know, you're not alone. You know, you have all these people, you know, um, who have your back and, uh, and we'll, we'll make this the best it can be. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned this a little bit in terms of your collaboration with um, Mark, the writer, but I'm curious about how that collaboration between um, director and editor works. And I'm sure it's, it's different on all projects. So either, you know, generally speaking in, in documentary filmmaking, um, how much collaboration do you get with the director? And specifically on this project, did you work closely with Brian? It sounds like 
you were kind of editing and he was directing at the same time, but how does that director editor relationship really work? So yeah, it's, it's, it's completely different on every film. Um, I've had films where the, uh, the director's like over your shoulder, like, you know, <laughs> telling you what, when to cut, 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 um, which can be, you know, good for the vision of the film, but at the same time, it's, it can be uh, a little much. Um, Brian um, was, he was off directing, but he, he was always there to give his input um, and help us on the way. But he gave us a lot of, he gave all the editors a lot of agency. Mm. Um, and he trusted us a lot. He trusted, trust Mark a lot. Um, and so it was definitely a collaborative process. Um, and uh, we would usually do like first passes on things uh, and get it to a place where we feel comfortable and share it among the editors, like Avner was saying, which is always kind of like the brain trust. Um, and, and then that was like kind of the first pass and then second pass might be, um, with, with, uh, Mark, um, to seeing if he had any more writing notes and then we would, we would approach it with, uh, with Brian. Um, and, uh, like I said, Brian, uh, he has, I think what's unique about Brian, he, he has a very, uh, specific style and he, he really, he loves things to be more, um, he always says kind of like the Jason Bourne type of film even like a, Jason as a documentary, of documentary. <laughs> yeah he, he loves he loves like that kind of reference and um you know it's like with the dissident you're like from from the first scene with Omar like you're you're feeling that had that tension and that energy all the way until the end and so uh that's one thing that he really injects in that and so the whole kind of brain trust and everyone together um uh it's it's just a great process with with him awesome yeah I, I imagine it's uh even, even with narrative editing, especially with documentary editing, um, it's refreshing to hear about the agency um, because as an editor in documentary, you, again, you're, you're, you're key in finding that story and, and shaping that clay, like you said, Wyatt. Um, so, so to have that input with a little bit of agency, um, I'm sure is, is really creatively fulfilling. Um, mm -hmm. I wanna jump into uh, sound and music as they relate to your work and as they relate to the uh, documentary editing process. How much of it is, I mean, not only music, which is one thing, but, but the soundscape of the film is kind of a, a whole nother piece. And as an editor, is that something you have access to? Is that something you have input in? Are you working in a vacuum and everything is added later? How do those elements kind of get stacked on? So uh, the quick answer is, is uh, we're not working in a vacuum. We have to make it, uh, as we call it, it has to sing. Uh, you know, so we can't afford to wait till we're in the finishing process to have it uh, to have either music or sound design. We we have to tackle those uh, ahead, and it's it goes hand in hand with you know with construction of the scene. You know, you might on the first day you might just be working as what we call a radio edit which is just like the sound the interview bites or the certain star archival clips but pretty quickly you have to incorporate music and sound design into that so I can speak a little bit about the music um, the common practice is to start off with what we call temp music which is uh, music from different types of scores that maybe we like that seem appropriate for the tone of the film and the specific tone of the any given scene that we're working on 
Uh, we were fortunate in this situation to also have our composer on board, which is, um, who is Adam Peters, who worked with Brian on Icarus. And so he was on board with the project, but we knew he was going to be our composer. So he was able to come in early on and not necessarily immediately score the scenes, but we could discuss tone with him and he could be like, he, he, could, he handed us uh, a large folder of demos and maybe from past uh, projects that he's done or things that he has lying around, around in the drawer. And so we could work with those and incorporate those, which makes his job a little bit easier when he has to come in and finally score the film because he's where, you know, occasionally we'll be working off things that he has already written. So he's a bit more familiar with it. Um, but then last third of the film of, of the filmmaking process, probably when he truly comes in and starts getting these scenes and scoring to them and coming up with the different themes for certain events, subjects, uh, characters. So um, yeah, it's, it's always scored and we're, you know, we pull from some of the most amazing scores in the temp stage, but, but um, it definitely in this situation was, we were fortunate to have our composer on board early on, which makes it easier. And yeah. uh, why, why I can speak to the sound design of the film. Yeah. And I'd say um, just to piggyback off that, like the music and the sound design in general can really help tell you if the scene is going to work because like you really to have like no sound designer or it, it just is like a, a very bland uh almost like blank scene um and to feel the energy of it and and everything um especially if you're trying to make it like a thriller like mm -hmm. that that for it to be a successful scene you kind of need all these elements to be in there um but for the sound design you know we work every editor usually works with like a big library of, of, of different sound effects um, and, you know, especially with, with the, the graphic scenes, um, you know, that, that was very important to, to have uh, the sound design kind of in there so you can, um, you can feel uh, like you're inside that environment. Because if, let's say for that one um, big animation sequence, the 3D one um, with the bees and flies, um, if there was no sound design, then you wouldn't feel uh, you wouldn't feel like you're actually in it. Like with Verte, you have natural sound and you can just kind of put the ambient sound in there and then you feel like you're inside of it. But um, sound, design, sound design is very important for that aspect. Yeah, yeah. and you're and building it from the ground up. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll add to that, that uh, what, what I was saying in terms of the sound design for these VFX sequences is that uh, in reality, it's it's we actually sound design a lot of it before it even gets animated or rendered. And actually mm -hmm. it, it, that, that is useful as a guide mm -hmm. for, for the animation team to actually, you know, they, A, to understand what happens at what time, but also to understand the tone of the, of the graphics and, and, and what, what this is trying to achieve. So, it's not only bringing it to life, it's actually instructing the, the animation in a way. So, so we would always kind of do that preliminary sound design work uh, even before we would get any, when we were still basically dealing with storyboards with mm. still images. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it really, it really helps with like, like you're saying with tone, if like, if you're doing like one of the, the bees or the flies is like flying by. If you had kind of like a, a cartoony little zoom, <laughs> that's very different from like a deep bassy shoo, like, right. uh, you know, something passing by. Um, so that kind of sets the tone for it a little bit. And like, you know, for even when 
you know, let's say there's a, a tiny little battle scene with, with the bees and the flies. It's like, you know, every single little tiny um, leg that hits the ground, you, you know, I mean, it's, it's on a metal surface. So you want a metallic little ding, um, you know, the, the sound design tracks can be, you know, go far, far down and you can have just tons and tons just for like, you know, one second. It's, right. it's pretty crazy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Most people then, probably don't realize the level, the level of depth, yeah. the level of detail. I mean, that's true for all filmmaking, yeah. Um, yeah. but for something as simple like, oh, it's just some bees flying around, right? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and then the, obviously to, to make it clear, this is our preliminary work. Then at the end of it, when it's in sound mix, um, that's when, you know, uh, you, uh, you know, in this case, our partners at Skywalker, they, they take it and take it up a notch and right. really ele elevate it because they know what they're doing. So, you know, yep, the, the, yep, yep. You, you know, so it obviously what ends up on the screen is, may, is, is of higher quality than what we deal with, but we still right. try to do the best we can. And it's pretty fun actually. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, Wyatt, you, you mentioned this specifically in the beginning, but I want to uh, go in a little further on the historical, I guess, like the education of, of, for a film like this, where we're dealing with um, a lot of historical data, a lot of kind of political, geopolitical information, you're, you're not just telling the story of Jamal, but also of this entire kind of uh, context around him, what's happening in Saudi Arabia, uh, the, the royal family and the history of that as an editor, like when you got kind of assigned to this project, are you like, oh man, I got to open up some textbooks so that I can understand the context of this story that I'm telling? Or do you just kind of learn through through doing and receiving the footage and listening to the interviews and, and doing it? Do you feel like you need to dive in to the story before you get started or does it just kind of happen naturally? Um, I definitely say I just kind of learn through the process. Mm -hmm. Um, but the process, like while I'm doing it, like if I'm, if I need to kind of figure out the background of, of the Saudi royal family or this or that, I'll, I'll go into like Google holes and I'll just like be, you know, I'll, I'll find the fact I'm looking for, but then I'll, I'll just like for an, another hour, I'm, I'm just, you know, learning about the family, seeing who the, the first king was, seeing like the progression and, and then just the context and like the puzzle pieces start to come in more and more and more. Um, but that's one of the reasons I love working on, on Brian's project so much is they're so, you know, political and geopolitical based. And, you know, I was, I was a political science major or minor. So I, I you know, I, I love this stuff. Um, but it's, it's a process and especially going through all the interviews. That's one of my favorite parts is, is you're literally getting like the experts within the field and who are, are there doing it. Um, and so that's, that's where you can get a lot of the information. Yeah. And um, I'll add on to that. I mean, personally, I grew up in Israel. So, you know, I come from the Middle East. So I had maybe a little bit more context uh, than than someone else might have about uh, just the geopolitical situation um, in Turkey and Saudi Arabia, all of that. Having said that, there's still the the amount that you learn through documentary filmmaking is, is astonishing. And so, um, like, you know, as Wyatt said, that's one of my favorite parts. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily find it useful to go on a deep dive beforehand. I mean, uh, maybe brush up on, on certain things, but throughout the course of your of, of your work on it, you get exposed to so much information that it actually becomes a balancing act where you kind of have to say, all right, enough. You know, I, I can't, <laughs> 
I can get absorbed in too, too, much, too much of the minutia. I can go too, down too many rabbit holes. For instance, I mean, Brian is, you know, the reason he makes these political documentaries is because he's so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of his passion is sending us all these articles and new things that come out and, every, and, and all that. And at, at a certain point, definitely later on in the process, you have to say, okay, I, I got to actually focus on the storytelling here. And I can, you know, because if I get bogged down by all this information, all these different players, all these different aspects, I'm not going to be able to effectively tell the story to the audience. Right. And, and that's the, the main goal where, and if you're not able to do that, you're going to do a disservice to the actual topic and what, and the themes that you're trying to, to convey. So it is, you know, um, it is a balancing act. You got to be, you have to be informed and at the same time, keep your focus on what's going on. And I definitely still learned so much and, you know, was shocked to learn of some involvement from, you know, uh, the government of my country of Israel mm -hmm. and, and all those things. And, 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 you know, I, I, as much as I thought I knew, I always learned new things and, and I definitely, it's, it's an educational process to work on documents. Yeah, for sure. And I imagine there's so much more that you, um, saw and learned and heard that didn't even make it into the final <laughs> cut that, you know, yeah. in watching the documentary, I felt like, oh, I learned a lot about this, but you must have a, a hundred times more insight based on the raw footage and all the interviews. Um, right at the end here, I'm going to kind of lump these last two questions together because I think they're really related in terms of, like we said, the, the, murder, the murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi was huge news a couple of years ago. We all have, have heard of it. Um, maybe we're a little bit familiar of it. In working on this project, one, how did your opinion change? Maybe you went in thinking like, oh yeah, I kind of know what happened here and I know what this is about. Did you feel like you had a, a change of opinion during the process of working on it? And then secondarily, what do you want the experience of the audience to be as they walk away from the film? Like, what do you want them to learn or think about or, or know um, having watched the film and, and how did your opinion change in making the film? So I um, generally didn't have uh, too, too much knowledge on the uh, geopolitical situation in the Middle East. Um, so this has taught me a lot, especially with uh, the history of, of Saudi and the US's relationship and gives context for just uh, a lot of history in general. Um, I'd say the, the main takeaway is just to kind of uh, for, for the audience to see, um, you know, for human rights abuses in the world. Um, I think it was a really great move uh, for Brian to bring on the Human Rights Foundation to, to kind of uh, be a sponsor of the film. Um, and it really sheds light on, you know, the appearance of, of certain regimes and, and governments in the world um, sometimes are not as they seem. And for, for, uh, for governments to kind of um, that look past these human rights abuses um, for, for the audience to kind of just actually see and, and you know, when it comes to uh, voting in the next round of, of leadership um, to, to think about these things. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll piggyback off of that. I mean, as I mentioned, I, I had some knowledge of, of, of the, you know, of the, of the region. Uh, I was, and, and some idea of what happened with Jamal, but uh, I was shocked to, to, find how blatant uh, the evidence and, and, and the actions of MBS and Saudi Arabia were. Um, and, you know, I, I think, 
I think that it is the other thing that's very surprising. And I think why I touched on that on this is how complicit um, the, you know, Western governments are in their relationship with Saudi Arabia. Um, and I think that, you know, what I would want an audience to come away with is basically that we need to hold our elected officials to task for, you know, for, uh, and, and how they treat this, this government and other governments like it, no matter which party it is, both, you know, the, the all different administrations throughout the U.S. history have been very complicit in the behavior of Saudi Arabia. So I think that um, whoever is a, the leadership is has to be held accountable for what they do. And so we have to apply pressure in which, whichever way we can. Hopefully people get involved with the Human Rights Foundation, which uh, why I mentioned and, and, and fun, you know, which funded the film. And uh, beyond that, I just uh, hope that people come come away with um, kind of more of an uh, an understanding of the actual people who were involved in this, who are more than just a headline or a statistic. Jamal was a real person with aspirations and dreams and whose life was, was cut short. Hatija, his fiance was left with this emptiness and the, this was devastating to her and this has defined the rest of her life. Omar is a Saudi dissident who can, go, who can never go home again because of this regime. And, and he will always live in fear that they will try to do the same thing to him as they did to Jamal. So these are real people and we tend to kind of dismiss it as, as a newspaper headline, but these are real people who are affected by, by these horrible actions. So I, I hope that, that, that audiences come away being touched by, by that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Avner and Wyatt, I wanna thank you both so much for your time. And additionally, I wanna congratulate you on a, a really, really powerful film. I know, you know, it's a huge team that brings all of this together, but um, I hope people have the chance to check it out because it's truly affecting and thrilling and haunting and, and really powerful. So congratulations on, on some amazing work and thank you so much for joining us and talking us through the process a little bit. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, yeah. Grace. Thank you so much.